morning, church. You all sound really good this morning. I just want you to know that. I don't know if you can hear that or not, but you all sound really, really good. Um, if you're visiting here with us, uh, if this is your first time or maybe you're somewhat new to us, uh, my name is Ben James. I am the lead pastor here. We are just really, really blessed to have you here with us in person, and we are blessed that uh, if you're watching with us online. I want to start this morning, we're going to go back in time just a little bit. I'm going to go back in time to the year of our Lord, 1990. Young Ben, kind of junior high Ben. For those of you who are sports fans in here this morning, it was the year, if you were NBA especially, that was the year of D. Brown and the dunk competition. Anybody remember D. Brown in the dunk? He, he won with a no-look slam. That's what happened. Uh, there was a marketing ploy that happened there and an advertising strategy that was absolutely brilliant. Before D. Brown would dunk, how many of you remember what he did? Anybody remember? He, would, he had on a pair of Reebok pumps, which had a basketball on the tongue of them. And what they did was you would inflate them and it would provide support for your ankles which obviously meant you could jump higher, you could run faster. I mean, and every time he would get out there to half court, before he did his, his dunk, he would set the basketball down, and he would pump him up, and the cameras pan right in on it. And then every basketball player, or every wannabe basketball player, had to have a pair of the Reebok pumps, because we all needed to run faster. We all needed to jump higher. We all needed this edge. So I did what any preteen slash teenage boy would do that had aspirations of playing in the NBA. And some of you knew me at the age of 12 and 13. Some of you have seen pictures of me. If you would have heard me say that I wanted to play in the NBA and you would have seen me, <laughs> bless your heart. <laughs> you can do whatever you put your mind to there, buddy. <laughs> you know, plan Bs are never a bad option, though. Well, it's not so much unusual now, but back at that time, I had an unusual foot size. I was a size 13, and according to what brand, sometimes it was 14. Okay, and that's still what, okay, everybody stop looking at my feet. Eyes up here, okay? So my parents want to buy me this, and nowhere can you find Reebok pumps in size 13, you know, because they're selling out, and it's just not a not a size that you see on the shelves every day at that point. But my dad buys me the next best thing. So mom and dad get me these. It's the Nike Air pumps. The NASA boots. Okay, they came out with these again in 2016, and they lasted about as long as the original run did. Did the same thing could inflate it, secured your ankles, you could run faster, you could jump higher. But instead of having it on the tongue, that was a trademark thing. They couldn't do that. They had to put it in the back. So that's like a air valve back there, uh, patent pending. <laughs> 26 years, they still hadn't gotten that thing patented. But anyhow, you would have to take that pump, and then all of a, all of a sudden you became a super athlete. 
So in one of the biggest games of the year, we're playing at the Hitchens Dome, okay? <laughs> now listen, any of you who have played at the Hitchens Dome in the old school, I'm talking like retro, you know, CCA's done some pretty cool stuff with it. I'm talking about the old school Hitchens Dome here. Your feet needed to be the last of your concerns because if your last name was like Shearer and you had home court advantage, you knew where every dead spot on that floor was. So you couldn't be worried about your ankles and your shoes. You had to come out of the locker room ready and pumped up because there were dead spots on that floor. If you'd go to power dribble, you'd go, and the ball would lay right there. And all the home players knew where that was. And they'd let you dribble right to that spot. They, Thank you. But I remember we were in this like championship game moment at the Hitchens Dome and free throws, big free throws were coming up. We had just a couple minutes left. I was down there and I was getting ready to box out. And I'm not going to mention his name. He doesn't come to church here, but I, I don't want any one of you sending him hate mail because it cost us the game. But he played against me and he reached down and he went he let every bit of air out of my right foot <laughs> listen I'm right hand dominant that just that crushed me so I was kind of running like this I didn't have air in it I didn't have air in it and that just threw off my game because I couldn't go to the bench that was in the locker room and repump it up but because they didn't make a size sled at that point for me to get my foot into, we lost that game. I couldn't get my right foot off the floor. We're talking about <laughs> the armor of God and how important it is about the shoes that we have on our feet. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit further in history, and we're going to go back to uh, mid to early, however you want to view it, late, because the numbers counted different in the uh, AD, um, you know, I'm, talk, I'm sorry, the BC era. But we're going to go back in the 300s BC, and we're going to talk about Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great was arguably, and maybe not even arguably, the greatest military strategist and tactician of all time. And one of his cutting-edge biggest advantages that he had for his army was that he put shoes on their feet. Put shoes on their feet, and they could travel further. They had better footing. It was easier for them to maneuver, especially in battle. They had an advantage over those that they conquered. If we fast-forward just a little bit, a few hundred years, into the time of Paul and him writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. He gives us in chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 15, this passage. There we go. <laughs> and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, we're going to answer a few questions here in just a little bit as we go along, but I do want us to understand something that we've kind of come off of two out of verse 14, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, where Paul just makes a statement as to belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. Uh, for these next two that we're going to cover these, these in the following weeks here, this one talks about shoes, but then he goes on and gives a little bit of an explanation and kind of opens up more things that we need to see and what we need to 
to look into, and that's going to happen next week as well. But I've got a, also a, a picture here that's going to show you kind of what the uh, Greco-Roman army would have been. That, that's kind of the shoe. Uh, that's a replica uh, of the shoe. I'm not for sure if it's genuine imitation leather or if that's the real thing. Um, but you can notice that, and some of these would go even higher up the leg, up the calf, up to the knee, and provide more support. All armies by this point, most all armies, were equipping their soldiers with shoes of some sort. But the Roman armor at the time was known for its excellence and still gave this Roman army a great advantage over everyone that they went in battle against. And one of the things that you'll see here is it, it kind of looks like a cleat, like a golf cleat, a little bit of a mini baseball type thing, you know, track shoe type similar things. And that was given to them. They had an advantage over most other armies because that helped them to grip a little bit better. You know, my sports days are long behind me. I look at those shoes right there and I'm like, boy, you could weed eat a hillside with that thing. <laughs> Middle age problems, right? But what they would also do is this enabled them to have support, their lower leg. They would also wear a sock type thing when they needed to, so they had protection from the elements. And one of the other advantages, other than the, the, the little knobs that they had to give them a little bit more grip, is that the Romans learned that they would, that the thickness of the sole made a big difference. Now, if we're going to go back to kind of the, the sports references, uh, anybody ever wear Chuck Taylors in here? It kind of had the, the rubber toes on them, then it was just cloth, and there was like zero support in those things. Those were the things were just flat. And they were, you know, the originals were white, and then if, then if you got high dollar, they came in black too. But what they understood was, as they went along with the Roman army, is the thicker the sole, the more protection they would have. Because one of the, one of the weapons of warfare back then was that enemies would bury stakes under the ground, like wooden stakes, and they would put just enough dirt over top of them to where they couldn't be seen. And they would have a very, very sharp point on them. And if they were walking through even these armies that had shoes on their feet, if they weren't real thick, then they would step, and it would puncture the bottom of their foot. Now, the shoes that we wear, really, really important, not only physically, but it's important spiritually as well. And I don't know how many of you, uh, very few of us, if any of us, have ever you know, <laughs> gone through and stepped on a stake that was buried just underneath the ground. How many of you stepped on a Lego? One of those little green army men? Anybody? What's the first thing you do? And it's like you pull that thing up, you do that one leg awkward you know, hop thing on the other and you're looking at the bottom of your foot to see if you're going to need a tetanus shot because of the gorge hole that you've got in there now. You know, very rarely have I have ever have I stepped on a Lego and go, ow, that was uncomfortable, and then keep focusing. And when something punctures or bothers your feet, it takes your focus off of what your objective is. Can I submit to you before we get really into these, these shoes of the gospel of peace here that every one of us faces an enemy that doesn't play fair? The enemy of your life has zero cares 
if he plays fair with you or not. And it's so, so typical of him to plant these little stakes in the ground of the path that we're walking that's just below dirt level, and we can't see them. And if our feet are not properly equipped to handle these things, then our focus is taking off of our main objective of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about these, the, these shoes of this and the readiness and the gospel of peace. Because, I mean, having the right shoes on is a big deal, amen? I mean, in, in, let's just, I mean, have any of you just, have any of you ever walked out of your house with your house shoes on going into public? It happens. It happens frequently. May have happened this morning. Who knows? Who knows? But it's important for us to make sure that we have proper shoes on our feet. And just as with anything else, if we're talking about peace, then Paul has gone back and he's already instructed the church at Ephesus about this peace. And that's found in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Let's, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 14, uh, then verses 17 and 18 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he came and preached peace to, the, to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now Paul, in this passage, is telling them, he's talking to the mystery of the gospel, of how both Jews and Gentiles are both accepted into this new found belief and freedom in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about that this peace is for both Jew and Gentile. It's for everyone. There is not a group of people or there's not a person alive or who has ever lived or who will ever live that we say that you are automatically disqualified from the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he has, through his peace, he's made peace for an opportunity, at least for peace, for each and every one of us. So, Let's, let's take a little bit of a look of what is this peace? What is it? Well, three things, I think, this morning. Number one, it's peace with God. It's peace with God. And if we look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. Since we have been justified by faith, so it's through our faith in Him that we're made right, that justification happens, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. This is a lifelong problem, but you know we're, we're, we're still... You know, in the middle of a pandemic here, so it just it lends itself well to preaching points. How many of you have had to battle for peace during these past couple years? 
Like, peace is really difficult at times. And the enemy comes against us with these things that we didn't see coming, these things that we weren't anticipating, these things that we would have never signed up for, these events in our lives that we would have never volunteered for, a financial situation, a marital situation, a situation with your children, with your family, with your church, with your health. None of us would have signed up for these things. And if we're not, some translation says to having your feet shod with the gospel of peace, you know, the shoes of the gospel of peace. If we have not equipped our feet, if we've not put on these shoes of the gospel of peace, then our peace is going to be compromised. And that's what many of us have been battling with. So we're looking for peace externally, but make no mistake, whenever peace with God is considered in your mind or talked about, the number one area of priority of peace in your life is peace with God. Because that's going to affect you eternally. Peace or the lack thereof here will cease. Amen? It will come to an end. So it provides us peace with God. Secondly, it provides us internal peace. If we'll look at the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We've talked the past couple weeks about how important it is to have that belt of truth on. And then the breastplate of righteousness, which is attached to that belt of truth, because that helps to protect our hearts, the core of who we are, and the foundation of what we believe and who we believe. And now we see that Paul's telling us that we have this source of internal peace when we are at peace with God, that we're no longer His enemies, we're no longer separated from Him, but we've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have responded to His call upon our hearts, we then receive peace with God, and with that comes internal peace where Paul begins to tell the church at Philippi, don't worry about everything else that's going on around you. Focus on that internal peace. Focus on that relationship you have with God. Focus on that grace and that love that has been extended to you through the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided you. That do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So we have peace with God, and we have internal peace. Finally, we have eternal peace as well. Colossians 1, 19-23, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, 
not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, as of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he's giving this assurance that through his blood shed on the cross, his death, his burial, and resurrection, we can have peace with God. And if indeed we continue in that faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope that is Jesus Christ, then we have an eternal peace in Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Because again, each and every day, your peace is under attack. If you watch the news, you understand this. If you read the headlines, you understand this. If you, if you scroll social media, you understand this. All of those are sources that take away from your peace. Even when they're trying to report on the best of stories, it takes away from your peace. Can I just submit to you that this book will never take away from your peace? It's a really good spot to say amen. This book will never take away from your peace. It will point you to your peace. The source of peace that never fails you, the source of peace that never leaves you, that never forsakes you, that never turns his back on you, this book will point you to the author of this book. And that's God himself. And that is good news. In a world that's lacking in peace, it's good to have an unshakable source of peace. So one of the words that verse 15 uses is readiness. About this readiness. Have on the, the, the shoes of readiness. So, okay, what, what should we be ready for? As believers, if we need to have this gospel, these gospel shoes on, why do we need to be ready? What, what, what do we need to be ready? Remember, we're talking about spiritual warfare here. This whole section is Paul dedicating it to spiritual warfare. So I believe the first thing that we need to be ready for is spiritual warfare. Stand firm in the warfare that we have. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has made us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we see several middle participles here, basically, is that Paul's in, he's telling us, he's so far he's told us to put on three items. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, now the shoes of peace, the gospel of peace, right? All of these we can't supply ourselves. They come from God. But it's our responsibility to put these on and to put them on properly. And he has said over and over and over again, just in this passage and then in Galatians also, stand firm. Stand firm in your spiritual warfare. I think the next thing that we need to be ready for is to suffer for Christ. Now try to hold your applause. Try to hold your applause for this one. But we need to be ready to suffer for Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Acts 21, 12 through 14. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. This is Luke writing, by the way. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, 
Let the will of the Lord be done. Backstory, Paul is wanting to go somewhere. He's wanting to go to Jerusalem. And everybody else, all the other believers, are trying to convince him not to go because bad things await him there. And Paul looks at these sufferings, and he says, For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I love the response that Luke pins here because I can just I can hear the, I can hear the parental voice behind this, right? Like you got an adult child now, uh, you know what's best for them, at least you think you do, and you're trying to convince them of it, but you can't make them do it anymore, and then, you know, they're just like, okay, and then they're like, let the will of the Lord be done. <laughs> Whatever. Go do your thing, Paul. But we need to be ready to suffer for Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no rosy way that I can frame that for you. You will suffer for Jesus Christ. We don't know to the extent. We don't know to the depths. We don't know to the severity. But I can tell you, in some way, shape, form, or fashions, you will suffer for Jesus Christ. And if you're not ready with peace in your heart, then you're not going to stand firm. Because it's the peace that allows us to stand firm in our times of suffering, in our times of trial. And the last thing this morning, the, the, the ready for what, is to share the gospel. Spoiler alert, as a believer, it's your job to share the gospel. Whether it's comfortable or not, whether you want to or not, whether the person's receptive or not, it's your job to spread the gospel. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer the righteousness for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. This is kind of connecting us to what we talked about with the suffering. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So even in your suffering, even in times you're being persecuted, even in times you're being mocked and scorned, possibly, be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to defend what you believe. And do it with gentleness and respect. Do we all know what the word gospel means, basic terms? It means good news, right? So if I'm telling you good news in a not good way, does it still sound like good news? called to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm afraid that sometimes we stand with that banner in our hand, but our presentation of this good news isn't good at all. Now, let's make sure I'm clear. It's not reflective of compromising anything. It's not reflective of sugarcoating anything. It's none of that. It's talking about sharing a really good gospel about a really good Savior who was sent by a really good Father with gentleness and respect. So in my closing this morning, here's, let's, let's look at practically. How do we put this on? How do we put these shoes of the gospel, of peace, and be ready? How do we do that? Well, number one, you've got to know the gospel. You've got to know the gospel. 
This book is a really good resource. It's really good research for when you're wanting to know what the gospel is. Go here first. Go here second. On and on and on. Know the gospel. Secondly, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to believe it, right? So we can know about it all we want to. If we don't believe it, it doesn't matter. So know the gospel. Believe the gospel. And lastly, embrace the gospel. Because there's a difference between believing it and embracing it. You can know it. You can believe it. But if you don't embrace it, if you don't experience it, if you don't make it your own, then it's not changed you. And my friends, let me be really clear this morning. I'm going to ask the praise team, if they would, to come back up. I want to make it really, really clear this morning with this gospel of knowing it, of believing it, and embracing it, it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ coming to earth, living as a perfect sacrifice for us, dying upon a cross, being buried, three days later resurrecting, and then ascending into heaven, alive at the right hand of the Father. That is the only source that will change you. That is the only gospel that changes you. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the lie. And no man comes to the Father except through him. Without him, we can be as good as we possibly think that we could be or want to be. But if any one be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away. All things are made new. And that's only done through Jesus Christ. Amen?